Uh, I want to spend a little time today. Uh, we're going to get back into 1 Corinthians. This, um, this study I, I've called the Epistles of Paul. Um, what we're doing is we're just kind of moving through uh, the uh, 13 epistles that Paul wrote together. And uh, these are courses that are available on our online Bible institute. We have an online Bible institute. We have 783 or four students as of uh, this morning when I looked. So it continues to grow all over the world. Fascinating how God uses things like that. And, and uh, there are uh, little pockets of people all over who um, are even starting to use our stuff and having sort of their church um, move around that. So it's kind of cool when uh, those things start to happen, how God puts things together. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. Uh, the, we're going to do the back half of it. If you want to take this course for credit, just go online, register as a student. It's all free. Uh, you listen to these lectures. I ask one question that uh, you can only get from actually either being here or listening to the lecture. So it's uh, usually off topic. It's something that I would just throw out there in the middle of the thing. Not on purpose. I just do that. And uh, at the end, you've got to write a little paper, and you get uh, credit for it at our Bible Institute. Twenty courses completed gets you an associate's degree in ministry. Forty courses completed gets you a uh, bachelor's degree in ministry. I was talking to a pastor up at the uh, up at the meeting. So this this was a meeting. Uh, it's called a Vineyard Leaders Meeting. So in in the Vineyard Movement in the United States, you know we're all over the world. But in the United States, there's 571 churches. Those churches are broken into 16 regions, and uh, in those 16 regions, there's 70 areas. And so there's area leaders. I'm one of those. Over those 70, there's regional leaders. There's 16. We have we have a regional leader here uh, in, in over, over Florida and Puerto Rico. And then there's a um, board that sort of oversees them. Um, unlike a lot of denominations, if you would, uh, everybody that's involved in leadership in ours uh, are volunteers. So, um, so they all are pastoring churches somewhere. So they don't sort of get in our business and tell us what to do, which is good. And then we oversee, we help oversee here uh, in this area, 12 vineyards. Um, But just if they need something, we don't, again, get in their business or anything. If they have questions or we can help them along, that's what we do. So that that meeting happens once a year. And normally it's somewhere kind of fun, like San Diego or Fort Lauderdale is where it's been historically. And they alternate coasts. And it's a much easier trip to go to San Diego. In March, or Fort Lauderdale's been my favorite. It was supposed to be that this year because I can drive up there and be a part. It's very nice. And um, but we went to Chicago. People said, "Why Chicago?" Well, there um, in Chicago lives two people. One is named Ed Stetzer. You may or may not have heard of him, but he's uh, the pastor now at Moody Bible, uh, which is a huge church in Chicago. He's also uh, part of the uh, uh, the head of the evangelistic part of Billy Graham's ministry. And um, he's a really well-known and very articulate speaker, and he's really smart. And he likes the vineyard. So uh, he wanted to speak to us. And uh, another um, very well-known author, and her name is Ruth Halley Barton. And she does a lot of sort of uh, books on on spirituality and and the Christian life. And um, so she was there, too, and she spoke to us. And so since they were both in that area, we went to them. So that's why we were there. If you wondered, why in the world Chicago? Nothing against Chicago, just that it was really cold. Today, also, before I get going, you think he's rambling a little, uh, is Ash Wednesday. 
Uh, and so um, that's happening. Ash Wednesday is the first day of Lent, in, in case you've never sort of um, been aware of those things. Uh, and uh, in, in some uh, churches, they, they would celebrate this uh, day uh, with, uh, you ever seen them, they, they would put ash on their foreheads early in the day, and they would walk around um, with those ashes on. And it's the beginning of Lent. Uh, and Lent is 40 days, marks 40 days before Easter, if you don't count Sundays. So Sundays are not in that 40-day run-up, because there's actually, I think, 46 days right now, um, because of the Sundays that are involved. So they don't count Sundays, it's 40 other days. And uh, the, if you wonder where it is in the Bible, it's not. Uh, it's a church event. Not that that's bad, but but it's not. There's no there's no place in the Bible where these were happening. There's there's some Old Testament things where they would do stuff with ashes, but uh, at some point in time, in the it was either in the 600s or the 1100s. They're not sure which. The church started to um, celebrate this way, and some of the traditions have carried it on. This 40-day period uh, in the church, a lot of people will. You've heard the expression. This is where it comes from. They will give up something for Lent. And uh, so there's a time of fasting for some. It's, a, it's really a preparation period for Easter. And uh, it's, it's to let you know that we're heading to the, you know, the, big, the big celebration, if you would, of, of our faith. Now, we celebrate. See, the reality is we celebrate the re- resurrection every day. Uh, if you're, you should be. As a believer, it's something you celebrate every day. But, you know, we have the, the, the day. And... All of these things that are happening are just trying to get people to prepare so that they can celebrate appropriately when the big day comes. And uh, it's, it's just tradition. So is it okay for? Sure. I, but do we have to? Absolutely not. So uh, there you go. How's that? All right. So let's talk about 1 Corinthians. We did quite a bit of it the other day. I want to sort of pick up the action in verses 8, uh, chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 8, and um, sort of chapters 8, 9, and 10 are flowing together about a problem that the church is having, and um, there's, a, there's a doctrinal issue that Paul is going to address about food that has been sacrificed to idols. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And so the, the Corinthians are having a problem, and they, they, they want to know. Uh, here's the problem, is really all they want to know is who's right. They have two, you ever had, you ever seen this happen? They have two different ideas on how this is supposed to go, and all they really care about is who's right. And, and so they're, they're approaching the issue from a standpoint of superior knowledge, and the problem is that in the body of Christ, we, we, we don't want to approach things like that because um, you can often find truth, some type of truth, in, in both sides of, of a discussion like that. And if our focus is on knowledge only, then what ends up is people start developing a, a, uh, a spiritual pride, which is not healthy at, at all, that somehow we're better than others or we know more than others or our, we've got it more figured out than others. And uh, the reality is that none of us have it all figured out. Now, we have some things figured out, 
Um, but n- none of us is sitting this and have just got a perfect hold on everything, um, and we won't until Jesus has come back. Uh, in verse 2, it says, So those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. And Paul is going to really try and address this issue in Corinth because he's saying, "Is listen, you're, you're missing the bigger picture. Um, the church... And he's going to say this a lot. The church has to do everything with a commitment to love. See, that has to be what we base everything on. Our relationships, the, the way that we um, are together, the way that we gather, um, the way that we relate to God. The, this is all, it's all about um, the reality that this is about love. That, that we, 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 we're to come to a point where we realize the, the amazing gift that we've been given in Christ and our response is to love God, and everything comes out of that love. See, that's, that's what we get to know. We, we decide that we love God so much that, that everything is going to come out of that in the process, including our relationships in the church and outside the church. And even if we're absolutely convinced that, that we have a brother or sister who is wrong doctrinally, we're not released from the obligation to love them. And that's significant. See, because what we have and why there's so much division and why the so many different facets to the church is at some point people get stuck on this idea of it's most important to be right instead of the reality that it's most important to love well. Now, does, does that mean that, that um, to, to love someone, does that mean that you have to agree with everything that they think or say? Absolutely not. But we, we have trouble with that. We don't do that very well. And so it's something that, that Paul is speaking to the church, and he wants us to know all the time. See, we, we have to be people that still seek the truth. And, and when, when we realize that there's people coming at it from different points of view, um, we love them while we, we continue to press in to the answer and to what's really going on and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. And, and so... We have to hang on to that. We have to be very careful that, that we don't sort of hang on to our own um, way of understanding things that, that, that could be very, very much right. But um, we, we don't want to get holds of little things that don't sort of allow us then to incorporate all of the Scripture and all of the text. And so we always want to be careful that our theology allows us to hang on to the Scripture from beginning to end. And that's why, you know, one of the things I teach you here all the time is about how important it is to understand tension. That the scripture is written in tension between the now and the not yet. And, and that we have to look at it in that understanding or we get too far on one side or the other. When the reality is it's it, everything, the, the, the truth is in this tension. And so th- there's a lot of positions in Christianity that divide the church with, with part of the truth in each one. But unfortunately, we, we haven't been able to figure out how to stick together and allow the Spirit of God to reveal to us what we need to know. And so we get divided over those things. And, and uh, I would say to you that, that what Paul is trying to say is that the most important thing is loving well, not being right. Because you could be absolutely right and not love well, and I think you have an issue. But if you love well... Then, then you, you, there's a lot of room for people to um, continue to press on uh, because not everybody is where we are. 
See, see, we have to know that this entire Christian life is, is about transformation. We're being renewed in the attitude of our mind, right? That, that all of these things are taking place in us, and, and there's a transformation that's going on. And, and that not everybody is at the same point in that transformation. So we don't have to insist that everybody has it figured out exactly the way we do, but right at this point in time. And over time, things, things could be more developed in folks. The reality is, our, our, for those of you who have been walking this thing for a while and continue to press in and continue to study and continue to read, continue to pray, continue to yield to the Spirit, do you not notice over time that, that your understanding changes? Not in a way that we ever get away from the main things and the plain things. Don't hear me wrong. We've got, we got some absolute realities in there. But, but do you... Because I, you know, I know that there are some things that the Holy Spirit has taught me over time that, that you know, are not exactly the same stances I had 20 years ago. Uh, and I think it's a good thing. But I would have, you know, there was a time when I would have been like, oh, and, and stuck there instead of being able to see, is this something I need to look at? So even in our Bible Institute, I often have, of the 115 or so courses that are in there now, I have different streams of thought, Christian thought, but different streams that come at things in a very different way because I think it's healthy. I, I, I think I, if I'm not settled enough in my understanding that I can't try and figure out where somebody else is coming from, it's probably good that I'm trying to figure that out. It means I'm not really that settled. So, if, if I, so I mean, you're not going to get me off of the basics, but, but uh, some of the other things I think we need to learn to say, well, I'm not sure about that and leave it up there. Because they divide all the time. We, did we touch on the other day? And this can be a real dividing thing, the, the whole idea of predestination. And you, you can get some people outraged by having a position on is, is everybody, did, did, did God determine in advance who was going to get saved? Or did, did, does everybody have an opportunity to come in? And God knows who that's going to be because he knows all things. And those two camps generally do not care for one another very well. They, they don't love very well a lot of times, the other camp. They might love their own camp pretty well, but... And yet, to me, it's a... So, so maybe you don't love me now. <laughs> I, but I still love you because, I, you know, I, I ultimately have gone into those discussions with people who... who um, Get, get camp because they'll agree with me on just about everything but that. And then we get there and they're, how can you believe that? And, and I didn't tell you which one. Anyway, uh, to, to me, every, I believe we've all got a shot. And, and that, that's where people struggle with that we talked about is the sovereignty of God. But uh, I think the grace of God allows us all to have a decision to, to make on this journey to either follow him or not to follow him. I was reading somewhere just recently, that, that there's two kinds of people. I think it was C.S. Lewis. There are those to who, those that say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. That's pretty to the point, right? But to me, that's a, it's, see, it's an honoring of choices, right? And he's given us his choice to make. So I believe we all have that shot. But I'm talking to people who, who believe that there's a people, group of people predestined to get saved and that they're going to get saved no matter what. 
And, and, and yet, I'll say to them, well, you know, because the, where you can go with that in the extreme is, well, then why, am we, why are we here preaching to God? What, what in the world are we doing? Why do we have mission? Why, why are we trying to reach people if the ones that are going to get saved are going to get saved no matter what? And we'll eventually come to, and I figured this out over time, that they still need to hear the good news. So we need to be out there telling it so that those people can respond. So I'll, I'll get to the point where we need to be doing this anyway, right? Well, let's just keep doing this, and then we'll figure it out later. And generally, we can find some ground there. Instead of being divided, we can go, okay, that's good. We can, we can allow the Spirit to work in us. So because we know that the Spirit is at work in us, and this is, when, this is why we talk about this so often. If we're people that understand that we're in process, that, that we are um, being sanctified, that this change happens throughout our life, if we're people that understand that, then we can have a lot of room for other people to be in places where we're not. Because we know that we're in process, and so are they. And there's a, there's a lot of that understanding will allow us to love well, which I think is what Paul really wants for us to do. And that over time, we're, we're going to continue to press in. Why always we yield to the Spirit and we read the book, right? You hear me say that all the time. If you've been coming here, I'm always on that. Why? Because the more we press in, the, the more we... we know him and the more we know him the more we trust him and the more we trust him the more we yield to the spirit the more we yield to the spirit the the more we we sort of get what really matters and that's an ongoing process in our life so that's 8 9 and 10 then he moves into 12 13 and 14 first corinthians 12 these are all about spiritual gifts and the corinthian church was very gifted uh, spiritually with with gifts and, and the gifts of the Spirit were operating in the church, but they were, they were not being used appropriately, which was an issue that was going on. And, and uh, this uh, spiritual gifts would be another issue in the church today that causes division on where people come um, in their understanding of the spiritual gifts. You know, are, are the spiritual gifts for today, or did they go out with the apostles, or was there some other time when they ceased to function? And it, I, this can be a, a significant problem with the way that people relate. Instead of loving each other well, they'll get stuck in an issue. And pretty big range of thought on, on the subject. Um, I, I give you the three sort of norm positions that people take. Um, there's that position that signs and wonders all ceased at the end of the apostolic age. When the apostles died out, so did the operation of the spiritual gifts. And... Um, there's a book by B.B. Warfield, if you ever want to read it, called Counterfeit Miracles. And um, he, he said that the, uh, the apostolic church was characteristically a miracle-working church. How long did this state of things continue? It was the characterizing peculiarity of specifically the apostolic church, and it belonged ex- uh, therefore exclusively to the apostolic age. These gifts were not the possession of the primitive church as such. They were distinctly the authentication of the apostles as, as like it was part of their credentials. And this is a position that's held by a part of the church today. Um, however, uh, they don't have it's an it's a there's not Bible for that position. My opinion there's the Bible would say that's not how it went and not how it goes. And so they have a very unsteady biblical ground. They won't come to that, but you, when you press them into Scripture, they have to get there. Do we stop loving them? Of course not. We love them big because it's one of the gifts, and they're still in operation. 
So we love them well. But some people believe that. Okay, I, I, you know, I don't think it needs to be a divider. Then there's a second position that um, the, the signs and wonders ceased after, uh, say, three or 400 A.D., and they believed that they, they no longer were needed because something had changed, and that something that changed was that the biblical canon was completed. And, and once the, the Bible was intact, we didn't need the spiritual gifts anymore to authenticate um, the believers because they had the Bible to authenticate what they did. And, and, uh, and so they used as a verse um, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. And, and you, you'll know love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know a part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And so what they extrapolate from that verse is that the perfect that comes is the Scripture in its completed form and that the spiritual gifts were just to sort of keep things moving in the right direction until that point in history happened, and then those things go away. Now, that would take us down to about 400 A.D., and that, there, that that was the end of the situation. Well, and the reason they get there is that the, the neuter, the noun for perfect there is neuter, and, and so they assume that it's a, it means a thing and not a person, but that's not really a correct uh, usage of the, um, of the original language. It can be used to talk about... Um, a, a person. It's used in other places that way. And in order to sort of back up that understanding, they have to go outside of First Corinthians to Second Timothy, and they read Second um, Timothy three fifteen and sixteen, and they go there because Scripture is used in the neuter uh, format. There, Second Timothy says, uh, "And how from infancy you have known the holy Scriptures." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what, what they believe is they go there and say, that's what we're talking about. That was the perfect that was to come. It was the Scripture. The Scripture is, in fact, God-breathed, every word of it. I'm, I'm one of those people that believes that. Theonustos, God-breathed, the Scripture. However, is that what they were talking about? And the issue would be that the, the Corinthians wouldn't have had that letter to Timothy to understand how to make that happen. So what did they have? Well, they had that letter that they had First Corinthians. And, and so is there something that might be perfect that's alluded to in First Corinthians? And there is First Corinthians 1.7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. What were they waiting for? Second coming. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. And, and so um, the third position would be that signs and wonders and spiritual gifts and all those things continue today. And, and I would agree with that. That would be where I, where I would stand on that position. Um, and so that all of it's in play and that God's still doing miracles and that God's still answering prayers and that God is still breaking in in significant ways and that um, all of the gifts that it talks about in, in chapters 12, 13, and 14 are in operation at some level today in and throughout the church. And they have been throughout history. And if you go and study history, church history, you can see them in operation. You can see them happening over and 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 continuing until this day. And, and still gifts of miracles break in and all of the, all the amazing gifts that happen are still a part of our experience. First Corinthians 15 uh, 
you know these verses. I couldn't skip this. Verses 3 through 8. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. What are those verses a summary of? Thank you so much for paying attention. The gospel, the good news, you should know those. If you don't know anything else, know those. Because that's what you need to know. What is the good news? What's the gospel? If somebody ever asks you, what's the gospel? You should just go 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Even if you've got to go look it up then, good, go look it up. But at least you know that's where it was. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised according to the Scriptures. That's what you need to know to know the Gospel. That's what happened. Our sin had separated us from God. He, he made a way in Christ for us to be reconciled to Him. Jesus came, took on our sin at the cross. He died, and then He defeated death, and He rose again. You have to hear that and respond to that message in faith in order to come into the kingdom of God from, from darkness to light. That's what it takes. So you have to know those verses. And if somebody is bringing to you sort of some very interesting teaching, and, and you and, and, and because the, there can be some pretty interesting teachings, and you wonder, but something doesn't seem quite right, ask them, what's the gospel? And if they don't give you some version of that, you're, you're supposed to go, okay, well, love you to pieces, but don't take it in. So, so that's why it's so important. And then, then, then the whole rest of the verses, why they're important, is there was witnesses. There hundreds over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It's an actual historical event. It happened. And you need to know that. Connect that to your faith in the process. It's two minutes to eight. I could go on, but I'm not going to. I'm supposed to be done at eight. So there you go. So if you're watching my video, thanks for watching. We'll pick it up there next time when we get back. And uh, I think the little nap I had this afternoon gave me an extra burst of energy. I was ready to go.